talk about the big three, repent, be baptised, the spirit filled, but I want to pick on the first one today, repent, because I really do feel that that's one area maybe we don't talk enough about. We talk a lot about getting people baptised, and we talk a lot about getting people spirit filled, but maybe just sort of brush over repentance, maybe just say the word and then move on to what we think are the two more important ones. Well, well, they're not. Repentance is equal, we might as well say, to water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Often when you think about repentance, people maybe just think it's confessing your sins and asking God to forgive you. Well, that's part of repentance, but it's actually not the main meaning of the word repentance. I actually looked it up in the, in the dictionary, and um, the word repent, uh, the Greek word that we get the word repent from, it means to think differently or to consider or reconsider. The mention took asking forgiveness of your sins. It encourages us to seek a different direction in life. And I've got here beautifully described in Isaiah. You might as well turn to this scripture. Isaiah chapter 30. So even though it doesn't use the word repent here, this is actually a very good description of what repentance is. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 And it says there, And thine ear shall hear a word from behind thee, saying, This is the way walk in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So it's as though we have a a redirection. And in our life we're heading along a certain path, and then we're confronted with the gospel, and then maybe one of the first things we do here is that word repent. And as I said, maybe you think, Oh, I'll just ask God to forgive my sins. That's part of it, I'm not saying it's not part of it, but maybe the bigger meaning of the word is you have a whole change of direction in your life. I mean, over the years in our fellowship, and I'm sure it's the same in others, seen hundreds, thousands of people get baptised and spirit-filled who then, for one reason, don't walk on with the Lord. I reckon a lot of the problem is they don't repent properly. Or if they repent a little bit and then... Within a day or two days of being baptized and spirit-filled, they reconsider what they've done and their thought is, I don't really want to change. I don't want to leave my old life. I want to hang on to it. Let's turn to the book of Ruth. Get an example of somebody who changed direction. Okay, Ruth chapter 1. Wonderful story of Ruth and how that she... um made this amazing choice. So again, really, this is more the type of repentance the Bible talks about. Somebody's living in a certain way and got all their own way of looking at their own gods and so on. All of a sudden they say, no, I'm going to go in a different direction. A wonderful story of Ruth where um, she and her sister had uh, become widows. Their husbands had died and the mother-in-law, her her husband had died, Naomi, and uh, Naomi was going to go back to Israel from, from the land of Moab and she said to her daughters, you better go back to your life. Your husbands are dead. I can't do any more for you. In verse uh, 5, verse 14 of Ruth 1, And they, the two girls, lifted up their voice and wept again, and all kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, my sister-in-law has gone, this is Naomi said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Bless you. Verse 16. And the Lord said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, 
For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people, and thy God my God. Where, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and even more so, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Really, that is a perfect description of what we should be saying or thinking when we get converted. It shouldn't be any different to this. We should say almost exactly that. Whither thou goest, I will go. Or where the Lord will lead, I'm going to go with that. Where, where the lodge, where the fellowship is, I will lodge. The, the fellowship will become my people. And that your God, the God that I've just found will become my God. And nothing is going to separate me from. That is a real change of direction. Remember the word means to think differently, to reconsider or to consider. And that's what people need to do. So when people get baptized, the part that I think is lacking at times, they haven't really thought it through enough. They haven't counted the cost. They haven't made that dedication of soul. I've found the truth. I'm not going to let anything take it from me. And in your walk with the Lord, it should be the same. And we know, unfortunately, now and again, down through the months and years of our walk in the Lord, people sometimes fall away. Decades later sometimes. Something goes wrong. Something, their lines get crossed. They need to consider and reconsider the way they're thinking because they could be on the verge of losing what they've got. That dedication they once made. So even in your walk in the Lord now and again, with something like that, you need to repent again. You need to reconsider again. You need to go back to maybe thinking the way you did the day you got baptized and spirit-filled. Okay, let's go to Luke, Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It's the Lord, of course, with one of his wonderful parables. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, or religious leader, and the other a publican, or a tax collector, recognized sinner in the eyes of the public. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, like the way it says, with himself. He didn't get through to God. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortionist, unjust, adulterous, or even as this publican starts quoting how good he is. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall shall be exalted. Self-righteousness really gets in the way of repentance. Because if you're really good, then why do you need to change? You're already perfect. You already don't commit sin, like this guy was thinking. So you've actually killed repentance. You'll actually want to go on the way you are. What often, I think, does happen People get baptized in spirit field. I'm not saying for one second they're not sincere in what they're doing, but they haven't really thought it through to, hey, life's going to be different now. 
my whole life is going to change into a different direction. And I think, oh, I don't want that. Ah, I want my cake and eat it too. I want a good little bit of what I've just found, but hang on to what I've already got. And it really kills it, it really does. Particularly if they're righteous in their own eyes. Self-righteousness is a deadly disease. It really destroys people's walk in the Lord. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. It says our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. And for people that are good in their own eyes, that's, whoa, that's very offensive. You, you, you're judging me. I get out under that cover, don't they? Oh, you're judging me. Well, actually, the Word of God is judging us all the time. And we've uh, made a bad start if we want to hang on. To, I admit, I admit that I did myself. When I first came along, I was going along to a Baptist church. And I'd gone to a Billy Graham crusade here in Adelaide and uh, Billy Graham got up and he quoted, believe it or not, he quoted Acts 2 verse 38. He quoted Acts 2 verse 38 and he said, when Peter, they said unto Peter, what should we do? And Peter said, repent. He stopped there. He never went, he never mentioned water baptism, never mentioned infilling of the Holy Spirit, but he, he didn't explain repentance properly. You know how I know that? He said, go back to your old church. When you leave this campaign, go back to the Church of England, which is dead as a dodo, dead and gone. He went, went and be, Part of my repentance was leaving all that. And then later on with the Baptist Church as well, in those days, completely denied the Holy Spirit and you had to turn your back on it. But I remember saying to the, the pastor, it wasn't Pastor John, another guy before him, Peter Mullen, I remember saying to him, I, I think I might just get baptised in Spirit and stay with the Baptist Church and he said, no, it's not a good decision. If God wants to save the Baptist church, he won't need you to help him. You make sure your walk in the Lord is strong. Pastor John had the same experience with the Methodist minister up in Sojuna, said the same thing. Stay on, John, stay with us. We need young men like that. He went to Len Day, who was the evangelist at the time, and he just got out, good old Timothy, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof from such turn away. And Pastor John went with that. So maybe we sort of tussle with this. Can I hang on to what I've got? We have a saying in, in society, and that is now and again you need to burn your bridges. You need to maybe offend the local minister so much he doesn't want you back. No, I'm not saying to do it that way. But to do it in such a way that there is no, you haven't left a, a path open. It's sort of still hanging on to the old life. You need to reconsider and change and hear that voice from from behind you, an area you didn't think of. This is the way, walk in it. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 3, where repentance is discussed by John the Baptist. Often it's the first thing that is actually said, both, both by John the Baptist and then by Jesus in chapter 4 of John. Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, in jo- he said, the first thing they said is repent. So it's almost like if you don't get this right, forget the rest. We always give the example, don't we, of building a house and a foundation you you put down. If the foundation is no good, forget the rest of it. Forget the walls, forget the roof, forget everything else. If the foundation is no good, the whole building will be no good. So now and again, maybe we get people baptized and spirit-filled and they haven't thought this through enough. 
They haven't. You can still do it very quickly, by the way. You don't have to spend hours or days doing it. You can make your mind up right straight away and do it right then. But you need to think that. You need to be prepared for that change. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, there it is, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he that's... Start again. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. His paths straight, back, back in Isaiah. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. He would have fitted into the, commu- the uh, hippie community later really well. He would, have been, he would have been what's known as with it. He really would have been with it. In verse 5, And then went out to him Jerusalem. By the way, it's a long way from Jerusalem to the River Jordan. You couldn't do it in a day. And it's down a steep hill. So Jerusalem's up in the Judean hills. They've actually driven from the River Jordan up to Jerusalem. It's quite a long way. So when that says they came from Jerusalem, it wasn't just around the corner. They really did make a big commitment to go down to the River Jordan. And then went unto him, verse 5 again, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in, baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to uh, the, his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, for for repentance. Actually, in the Amplified, it says, bring forth fruit that is consistent with repentance. Let your lives prove a change of heart. And think not to say within yourselves how good we are. Another way of putting it. We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit, fruits of repentance, he's talking about the fruits there, is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So repentance is a big thing on that first day. It's the first thing you need to do. And then you need to, as it were, have an evidence that you have repented. So how do you have that evidence? Well, it is so first of all, you just have it mentally. You just think, I know when I first really had to go through the tussle of really coming to the Lord, I had to realize that Billy Graham had shortchanged me. He didn't preach the full truth, didn't tell me the whole gospel, and he told me part of it. I had to come to the grips with the Baptist church I was going to. Church of England, I'd come to grips with that earlier on. They just weren't anywhere near what it should be and christening instead of baptism, confirmation instead of being filled with the Spirit. So that was sort of gone. But the Baptist church was sort of reasonable and and so on. So when I heard the full gospel, I had to, had to come to grips with that. Now, every one of you here today, in, in whatever way you had to do it, you had to come to grips with your life and whatever that meant. Might, for some of you, might not even believe in God. Some of you might have been religious, sort of a bit like me. But somewhere there, you've got to make that decision you will not be the same. Don't come to the Lord and think, I want to be the same. Well, you can want to, but you won't be the same. Let's have a look at another scripture. Luke chapter 19. 
a bit of an example of fruits of repentance. Now you might not do it as quite as dramatically as this man Zacchaeus. You might not have such a soul of guilt as he had. So the, the, the basic understanding we get from why the Republic, like the guy in the, in the temple praying with the Pharisee, same sort of trade, being a, uh, being a, 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 a um, tax collector, that um, a publican as it was, not, he doesn't, he didn't run a pub. Different use of the word publican. Is we understand that they were crooks. And that as they collected money against, from their own people, he was, they were Jewish and they collected tax from the Jews, not the Romans taking it from the Jews, the, the, a, a Jewish person taking it from his fellow mankind, fellow men, and he would take, we don't know exactly, but like one dollar for Caesar and one dollar for me. So it was, it was the, they were real con men. Matthew, by the way, wrote the book of Matthew, one of the twelve apostles, he was a tax collector. So God obviously loves saving tax collectors. Have we got any tax collectors here today? Because God, if you are, God will love to save you. But I'm sure you're not in the category that um, that this uh, man was. And he was only a short fellow, and he climbed up a tree. He was in a crowd. He couldn't see Jesus up a sycamore tree, and he wanted to see. He heard that Jesus was coming by. And I think that's pretty important at times. You find out where the Lord is. You know, you don't go somewhere where the Lord is not. Sometimes people, like when they went to the tomb and the angel said, he's not here. Don't come here, he's risen. You don't want to go somewhere where the Lord is not. And then once you get in where the Lord is, then you've got this choice of following him, changing your life, changing your direction, or saying, no, I'm going to hang on to my old life. Verse uh, verse, uh, verse 5, Luke chapter 9, we'll pick it up where he's up the tree. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in thy house. And he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the other Jewish people, they all murmured, saying that he'd gone to be the guest of a man that was a sinner. What they didn't realize, he loved going to be the guest of sinners. Why? Because he came to save sinners, not the righteous or the self-righteous. And Zacchaeus, so this is an act of the fruits of repentance, is verse, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and there's 50% gone straight away. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, that's mostly equivalent to the other half, I restore him fourfold. I reckon he ended up totally broke, but he'd found the Lord. And even maybe now and again when people come to the Lord, their life changes where maybe financially they do miss out. But who cares? If you found the Lord, you've hit the jackpot. Not a, maybe a good gospel term, but you really have found the truth. The prize, the great prize. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham, I'll come back to that in a second, what I, what I think it means by a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. There's two ways you can be a son of Abraham. You can be on the bloodline, a descendant physically of Abraham, and the other one is a child of faith. 
If you are a child of faith, because Abraham was a great man of faith, then you are a child of Abraham. I got thinking about this name Zacchaeus, and I'm no scholar by any means whatsoever. I'm hard enough learning English, let alone any other language. And in my mind, I don't know why Zacchaeus sort of had a, a Greek sound to it. Was this guy a Greek? I couldn't have been more incorrect. I looked it up. Zacchaeus comes from a Greek word which means, um, oh, sorry, pure. Means pure. But it came from a Hebrew word. The Greek word came from a Hebrew word from the Old Testament and uh, from Strong's Concordance. And the word was zakai, Z-A-K-K-A-Y, which purely means pure again. But then that derives from another word just below that in the, in the, in the uh, Strong's Concordance. It means to, to be transparent or clean physically or morally, to make clean, to be pure, to be purer. Couldn't have had a better name for Zacchaeus because he'd found the purity that he was looking for. He was made pure. So I gather he was very much a Hebrew. He wasn't Greek, no offence to the Greeks, but he wasn't Greek. He was was absolutely of, of a physical descendant of Abraham. When he said you are also a son of Abraham, I do think, though, he lent more to what the other meaning is. You're a child of faith. You've an act of faith. You acted out what, 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 what's the, the situation there. I'm going to read you a testimony. We have a new fellowship in England, in the city of Bristol. A lot of you mostly know the history of that. I won't go into it. But they've come into our fellowship over the last couple of months. Pastor Jeremy Archer is their pastor who lives in Milton Keynes. Travels two hours every Sunday to to um, Bristol, and they've got a new assembly that's joined. It's called now the Avon Revival Fellowship, and we have a brother down in uh, in Woodcroft. A lot of you will know him, Monty Montgomery Lambert. All right, who knows Monty? Well, a lot of people know Monty. I didn't know. I didn't even recollect that he was English, but when he heard about Bristol Assembly coming into our fellowship, he came from there. And he said to me, look, I'd like to send my testimony to this new fellowship. And um, I haven't got that here, but it's about four pages. I wouldn't have time to read it. But he did that. He sent his testimony there to England, and the fellowship rejoiced in it. But one brother there wanted to answer him. And I've got his testimony from Bristol. And um, his name is Robbie Harley. And his mum, Helen and I met his mum and dad when we were in England back a few months ago, sort of part of the whole story of the Bristol Fellowship while they've joined us, these couple have been unfairly cast out of fellowship. And um, Pastor Ben, the other assembly that has joined us in Canada, in Vancouver, Pastor Ben said, could I go and see his wife's name is Jess, Ben's wife's name is Jess, her auntie and uncle in Bristol. We were at the Bath camp, Bristol and Bath are close together, so we had a coffee with this man who sent this testimony, his mum and dad, Wendy and Darren, and they had a lovely time. Couldn't really do much for them at the time. They were, um, we didn't have a fellowship in, in uh, either uh, Bath or in Bristol. London's two hours away sort of thing. So other than just giving them some encouragement and listening to their story, and I remember I won't, <laughs> here I'm saying I'm not going to go through the story, but I need to tell a bit of it. 
The pastor, the local pastor there, really was doing bad things. He was casting people out of the church that didn't need to be cast out. And Darren and Wendy were a classic example. They'd been out of fellowship for 18 months. And I remember Wendy saying to me at the end of our little time together, I'd like to go back. Their heart was still with the fellowship. Nothing wrong with it. They believe exactly what we believe, by the way. And um, she said, to her, but I'll never go back while that man's the pastor. Well, she got her wish. Because over the next couple of months, everybody else got kicked out of the church. And she's got a church back without the pastor. And she got Pastor Jeremy from two hours away. So that's sort of the basic story. So this is their son, who's not a young man, obviously. Uh, and I'll read you his testimony, which he then sent through to Monty, because of Monty giving his testimony about how he was brought up in, in near Bristol. So this is the testimony. I guess I'm reading, I'm reading it. It's called, I'm thinking about repentance today. Somebody that's gone astray and then found the way back to the Lord. Good to hear from a fellow Bristonian. My name is Robbie Harley, and I'm part of the Avon Revival Fellowship. Pastor Jeremy sent your testimony to our brothers and sisters in the Avon Fellowship, and I wanted to respond by way of sharing mine. My parents are Darren and Wendy Harley, and I was brought up in the Lord and attended Bristol, uh, Bristol Revival Assembly with the other, the old group. And I was baptized when I was eight at a camp. I did not understand the Holy Spirit magnitude and what I had received until later in life. Honestly, there was a time when the Lord put me first when I failed to reciprocate. I made some poor decisions. I had a time when I was out of fellowship. This time was turbulent as I loved the Lord but, but struggled. I'm reluctant to say, but I believe it was fortunate that the Lord still had his protective hand on me. I was part of a violent organized crime group, a gang. I saw violence. I was violent. This time it etched in my skin. I, I would maybe think about tattoos. I don't know if you're talking about that or not. Uh, however, the Lord said, seize our soul. We know our flesh will be dust in the wind. I can express how that the Lord lifted me out from that, that and I subsequently returned to the fellowship. His hand of protection remained close to me as I had had three motorbike accidents. While, un, 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 while unpleasant, I walked or limped away, he says. The Lord continued to bless me, and I was married quite a few years ago now to my now dear wife, Sophie, here it is, in 2010. The Lord has healed me, and I have suffered from severe health conditions, including but not limited to unexplained gland mal seizures. I have lost count of the numbers of times that I've received CPR from my family. I also have a heart condition, SVT in brackets, which can triple my resting heart rate. It sounds rather dramatic, but I genuinely don't think I would be alive today if it was not for the Lord. While this may sound cliche, I cannot praise the Lord enough as while I type this, this there is unaccountable works the Lord has done for me. There are unaccountable works that the Lord has done for me, from being stabbed to all, all to all the, the near misses. I've had and come to think of it. That's only the ones that I know. I say near misses, but the Lord goes before us. The Lord has worked mightily recently and provide a safe harbor, harbor to those that love Him. What a wonderful Father we have! I rejoice. I have and can 
connect with other joy-filled, joy-filled saints, talking about the rest of our fellowship, and look forward to fellowshipping with many more in the coming days. Below is a verse that has always been a blessing. Romans 8, verse 38 to verse 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love in the Lord, Robbie Harley, Avon Revival Fellowship. Now we have a lot of testimonies like that ourselves. And uh, repentance, I dare say, is something that mostly almost indicates that he didn't understand. Maybe sometimes our young children growing up don't quite grasp it often think they often have a double conversion. Maybe they get baptised and spirit-filled when they're 10, 11, 12 or ages like that. Then later on in their late teens or something like that, it's almost like they've got to reassess things and why am I part of this and this is just mum and dad's church or do I really understand now what I've got? And some, obviously, unfortunately, some kids don't. Maybe it is, again, this, this repentance thing is lacking of turning to the Lord Asking for direction, asking for forgiveness as well, but asking for direction, which way to go. Well, some of you might remember years ago I did a little thing called Tinkerbell from Never Never Land. It wasn't at the Sunday school. Um, there was a, a young lady in Christchurch called Renee Watcho, and she was 15 years old at the time, and maybe at the very sort of stage that I'm talking about, brought up in the Lord, mum and dad in the Lord, mum and dad's the pastor in the, in the fellowship in Christchurch, and we got this email from her. We left in Christchurch in 1998 and she wasn't born until the following year. So she was never, we were never there at the same time in the assembly. Often we got to know her over the years when we visited Christchurch. But all of a sudden we get this email from, from Renee. And the part that sticks in my mind is maybe it describes something that maybe some of our young people might be under, understand or, or particularly think the same way. She said in this email, she said, when I sit in the meeting, she said, I can't understand why they, including her father, people like me, why they go on so long. Don't they realise after 10 minutes we're bored out of our brain? And then she said to herself, but if I listened, I might learn something. And she regained a whole new vision, became incredibly keen for the Lord, loves witnessing, brought quite a few people to the Lord. For those who don't know, she's getting married in the middle of July and that's a very exciting time. So so maybe people like Renee suddenly need that almost the shining light, the light to be switched on and suddenly you think, I'm heading in the wrong direction. All of a sudden I need to go in this direction. Let's have a look at another great example of repentance in Acts chapter 9. Maybe there's no greater one in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. For a while there, totally misguided, thought he was on, God was on his side. He thought killing Christians was the way to go and that God would love him because he killed Christians. He was a, a witness at the first killing of a Christian in his life when Stephen was stoned to death. He watched it. He didn't pick up a stone. He looked after the clothes of the people throwing the stones. He could say, oh, but I didn't throw a stone. But by association, you were guilty. We have that in law, don't we? By association, you were guilty. And I don't think he denied that. 
Then he got onto a rampage and started to persecute all the Christians he could lay his hands on in Jerusalem. And he ran out. He maybe he thought, no, I got to, I like this. I'm going to go somewhere else. Let's go down to Damascus, one of the big cities nearby. Got letters of authority. Lovely high priest that they gave him those letters of authority when you think about it. Yeah, go and kill Christians down there. And, uh, but what was happening with Paul, it was he was witnessing this, the steadfastness and the testimony of those Christians. It was having an impact on him. He mostly didn't even want to really really think about it, but it was having an impact upon him. As the Lord described it, you're kicking against the pricks. You're trying to fight against your conviction. And we have a lot of people in the Lord like that, where they resist, and all the time, that's what they're doing, they're kicking against the pricks. We'll pick it up in, in the Romans, Romans, in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, and the story of when he went to Damascus, in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that he found any this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, he almost got there, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, if we're a person that is resisting coming to the Lord, we can put our own name there. Peter, Mary, whatever name you've got. Why do you persecute me? You think, oh, oh, we're not persecuting the Lord. By denying the Lord you are. By siding with the opposition you are. By association, you're not with the people of God, you're with the people that are the enemies of God. You might say, oh, I don't say anything against it. You're with them by association. There's only two camps, the saved and the unsaved. And you are resisting that, that call. Verse 5, and he said, yeah, I think he already knew, 95% I think he knew who he was talking to, but he wanted to have that last 5% confirmed. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard to resist what really your conviction is. And he didn't deny that for a second. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will we have, what wilt thou have me to do? We'll get a different answer to what Paul got, because everybody's case is different. But we'd like, if you haven't yet found the Lord, and maybe if you're going through a bit of a hard time in the Lord, same thing, you go to the Lord and say, what wilt they have me to do? Guide me, lead me, what do you want me to do? If we're totally unsaved, he'll be saying exactly what it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent, what we're talking about today, then get baptised, then get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we know the other great thing we liken repentance to is a death. Baptism, a burial. Receiving the Holy Spirit is resurrection. Death, burial and resurrection like Jesus Christ. So what are we dying to? We're dying to our old way of life and the more you die to your old way of life, the better. The less you hang on to it. So burn your bridges. If you've got a packet of cigarettes, don't burn them the way you have been burning them. Take them out and put them in incinerator and the pot belly or whatever. Don't burn, don't burn them the way they're designed. Get rid of them. I know when I came to the Lord, I mostly wasn't classified as a great sinner. You always are in your own eyes, aren't you? You know what you've done. But, and um, my my problem was uh, when I came to I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, but I did swear. I went to a boy's technical college, pretty rough. 
And I was a prolific swearer. Not in front of mum and dad, of course, but I could swear. And I had a couple of weeks of really battling giving up, uh, giving up, uh, swearing. And the main problem was I owned a BSA Bantam motorbike. If anybody's ever owned a BSA Bantam motorbike, you'll know what I'm talking about. They're shockers to start. You can never start them. So I used to talk to the bike. <laughs> and then I got rid of the bike and I gave up swearing. <laughs> so it's all different for every one of us. We need direction. We need to go on a new course and so on. I mean, when I was in the Baptist church, I had that problem all the time. But on Sunday, oh, I was good. For a couple of hours, I was squeaky clean. Monday morning, back at school? No, not so good. I came to the Lord. I, had, I admit I had a problem. Nowhere near as bad as before, but it's still there. And then I got the victory. And what a wonderful feeling that is. I just knew there was no way that I could be in the Lord and swear. They don't go together. So that was one thing I had to give up. I'm sure there were other things. And the other thing I gave up, I said, was Billy Graham and the Baptist Church. They re- I realized they weren't preaching the truth. And you hear so many times when people come to the Lord, they want to hang on to the old church. We've really never ever told them the truth. Why they want to hang on to it, I don't know. They go along to the old church, got all the friends there, and the minister's a lovely man, and so on and so forth. But they never told you the truth. You have no allegiance there, really, before God. And the more you can say, no, I'm out of this, whether you just plain leave or whether you write a letter or whatever you do, make it clear, I'm out of it, that life is gone. I found the Lord, I found the fellowship. I'm now going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to walk a new path. You know all along that you're going to make mistakes, but it's what you intend in your heart that's important. Repentance is all about what's in your heart, a change of direction. So when he said there, what shall I do? Well, in this particular case, it was because of what he was there for to kill people. Uh, the Lord said, what, he said, what shall they have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Well, in most cases, that is just simply repent, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Spirit and walk with the Lord and leave your old life behind. I'm going to finish with a little bit more of Paul in Acts chapter 23 and I'm using this as an example of somebody who didn't walk with God and would have not had, other than the fact that God wanted to save him, would not have had any protection. And when you're not in the Lord, you're open to whatever happens. You're open to the, the devil and his kingdoms. We don't talk about the devil much, but he rules the earth, he rules the planet, all the horrible things we talk about in, in the newspaper and so on. God is not the author of that. The devil is the author of that. And um, we're open to anything and everything. You come to the Lord, I'm not saying the things don't go wrong, but often when they do go wrong, the Lord's there to protect you. Far better to go through something wrong with the Lord than without the Lord. But here we see a little little bit of example of where Paul was over overseed or over overlooked looked upon by God. In Acts twenty three, did I say that? I did. And verse sixteen. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle on top or now we didn't know about Paul even had a sister or a nephew, but he did. And they obviously were aware of him and his ministry. We don't know whether they ever got converted. It looks like here they were pretty in favor of their, their wonderful uh, relative, Paul. And some Jews had decided they're going to take a vow that they would not eat 
and they would fast until they killed Paul. Now, I got a feeling that maybe about two months later they were all dead. I bet you they weren't. I bet you they broke their vow. But they said, no, we're not going to eat again until we kill him. So this nephew of Paul's went and had told Paul what the planning and wait to, they were waiting to kill him. And then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, bring this young man under the chief captain for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul, the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow to the, into the council as though he, as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them for there, they, for there lie in wait for him of them that more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, it's all very cloak and dagger all this, seest thou tell no man that thou hast shown these things things to me. Now we see in the next couple of verses how important Paul had become. So he called unto him two centurions. A centurion has a hundred soldiers under him. Century. Christ called a centurion. There's 200 here of these centurions saying, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea and horsemen there, three score and ten, 70 horsemen and spearmen, 200. Wow, that's a whole army. At the third hour of the night, oh, that'll be, I think the third hour of the night is mostly nine o'clock at night. So, um, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe under Felix the governor. So, as I said, the main reason I want to read that is that Paul, who once killed the Christians, the Lord had now come into his life and that made a difference. And when this was all set up, the Lord made sure that they they were confused in what they were doing and that he would not allow it to happen. He would arrange a situation where he would save his servant. We know later on Paul did die at the hand of a wicked man called Titus, the... Uh, Nero, I mean, the emperor of Rome, and um, and that was Paul was aware of that and so on. But on this occasion, no, I want him still alive. You've got to, you've got to witness before kings and 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 people like Nero and so on, which he did. So maybe just my final thought today is, if somebody has not yet come to the Lord, by all means, please come and get baptized. Please get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. But also think about what you're doing. It's a commitment. And don't be put off by that. It's a wonderful commitment. You'll never, you'll never regret doing it, but do make that commitment. I want to come to the Lord. I want to get baptized. I want to receive the Holy Spirit, but I definitely want to walk on with the Lord. I want to be here with all the brethren in a year's time or up until the Lord comes back. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.